sounds of the jungle. Yeah. It's a nice ambient... It is. It's really relaxing me. ...set of noises, isn't it? Okay, so this is the little frog. It's a strange... <laughs> yes, little frog, yeah. I didn't okay. realise the sound effect has like a bit of a motor engine at the start of it. Yes, it does have like a boat <laughs> engine going on it. <laughs> oh, a boat engine. I don't think that's a frog. Okay, that's interesting. So, I mean, it's not exactly news that the frog likes to be near water, but the fact they had to go on a boat... There it is again. I mean, I assume it's boat. <laughs> Boats come back around. Could be an ATV. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So what have we got as clues? We're in South Africa for this episode. Ah. Uh, so is it? Okay. I mean. I can give you a further clue. Okay. This recording comes from the same location as huh. the paper we're discussing today. Okay. So that is a that is a boat. And possibly from the, well, definitely from the Ndumo Game Reserve, South Africa, because that's where we're going. Exactly, yes. Okay. Is it a frog I'm going to have heard of? Like, did you know? Absolutely not. Okay, well, I'm just going to say the Nile Reed frog. Which is a pretty good guess, apart from Nile. Oh, so it's a reed frog. It is a reed frog. But the Nile's nowhere near, is it? The Nile's nowhere near. I don't. I know where your brain went because yeah. we're going to be talking about Stupid Nile crocodiles, brain. and I might have specifically gone looking for a frog that lives in the Nile before realizing. Wait a second. Why am I looking up Nile? The paper has nothing to do with the Nile. <laughs> no. What you were hearing was the Tinker Reed Frog, oh. which is Hyperolius tuberlinguis. Good. Tuberlinguis. Which yes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew it was a reed frog. That was a good guess. Yes, it was a superb guess. So what does it look like? It's about three centimetres, two to three centimetres, uh, sort of females being paler, I believe, but sort of a paler sort of green, yellow, with a very faint hourglass pattern on the back. They look kind of tree froggy, I would say. Okay. Very little is sort of known about them via amphibia web and sort of various other things. Yeah. Well... They may have a relationship with the animal that we're going to be talking about in this episode, to be fair. Although I think the adults would be too big to eat them. Maybe the little babies are preying upon these frogs. It's possible. Almost definitely. Gotta be. Unless they're so arboreal that they're out of reach. Maybe we are. If they fall (laughs) into the water, though, game over. Yeah, so that kind of like leads us nicely on to our paper for this week, which is by Price. Ezat, Hansen and Downs, published in 2022. Never smile at a crocodile. Gaping behaviour in the Nile crocodile at Ndumo Game Reserve, South Africa, published in Behavioural Processes. So yeah, we're talking about Nile crocodiles and we are in South Africa, as Ben said, the Ndumo Game Reserve, which is on the border with Mozambique. And Nile crocodiles are Africa's largest crocodilian, growing up to six metres long, and males can weigh as much as 750 kilograms, females more like 250. But 750 kilos for a male, that is 10 toms and change. That's a big animal. And like other crocs, (laughs) this is a predator of the water's edge. They eat anything they can catch and consume, and they will lie in ambush, waiting for things like gazelles to need a drink, and then they will thrust out of the water with their powerful tail, grab them and withdraw to the water to drown and consume their prey. 
probably the most iconic reptile of Africa, I would say, which is a bit of a bold claim. That is a bold claim, but I don't think I would disagree. Yeah. So, Ben, before we get into the sort of subject matter at hand, I saw the title of this paper and I like it. Never smile at a crocodile. It's great because it's to do with crocodiles. And as we'll see, it's got something to do with their teeth. I thought to myself, this can't be the first paper to use that as a sort of tagline, right? There must have been another one. It usually isn't, yeah. (laughs) I did another, I did a Google search, right? Get this, all you need is the title. Never smile at a crocodile. This is another paper that used it, right? Never smile at a crocodile. Betting on electronic gaming machines is intensified by reptile-induced arousal. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're going to have to at least expand into the abstract to know... I... What? So this was published in a journal called The Journal of Gambling Studies. Now, mate, I mean, we could not be further from our wheelhouse, so I cannot comment anything to do with this research. I have no idea. But I just thought it was funny and fascinating. Because essentially what they did was they took a bunch of tourists from this crocodile farm in Australia... And, you know, we're talking about over 100 people. And then they were randomly assigned to play this, like, simulated gambling game. And they looked to see whether or not their arousal condition, which was (laughs) whether or not they'd just handled a crocodile, would have an impact on how much they were willing to bet. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, they kind of found out that if you're an at-risk gambler with a lot of negative emotions, you will place lower bets after handling the crocodile. And if you So crocodiles are a solution to gambling addiction is what you're saying. But only if you hate yourself. Only if you hate yourself. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty limited niche. Maybe I don't know, maybe there's a strong subset of gamblers that feel that way. On the flip side of that, if you if you kind of made if, if holding the crocodile was like a broadly positive experience and you, you felt good, then you would actually gamble uh, a bit more. Because you're excited. Ah, so the, the crocodiles, a good crocodile experience would encourage you. <laughs> yeah, it's a very confusing paper. I mean, the crocodile kind of like, experience was great, so will this. But yeah, the long and short of it is that they used handling over a crocodile to induce what they termed arousal and to see if that would affect how people behave. And as it turns out, yeah, maybe it does. Pretty crazy. I actually read quite a lot of this and they did another experiment where like somebody was interviewed by this lady at like either on like high ropes on a scary bridge or just like on ground level. And a lot more people thought that the lady was like being flirtatious if they were at high altitude. So they think that like the enhanced state of arousal can like affect your mindset. And that's kind of the sort of backdrop to that research. I don't know how we ended up here, honestly. (laughs) Just don't smile at crocodiles and you'll be fine. Yes, there we go. But that's nothing to do with what this is paper's about. We're talking about Nile crocodiles and we're talking about a behavior called gaping, which, yeah, gaping is a behavior exhibited by crocodilians that involves opening the mouth very wide when on land usually and lying with it open for extended periods. So the crocodiles are on land, open their mouth. I think most people have probably seen a picture. Not always on land. Usually though, usually. Mostly. Occasionally. Right. Yeah, occasionally in water. But essentially, the reason why they do this isn't very well understood. Some studies have suggested that it helps to keep them cool, particularly maybe their heads. If they're basking and their head gets too hot, but they want to bask their body, maybe they open their mouths, keep the head cool. Body can still bask. They are creatures of momentum. If you're talking 700 kilograms, it's going to take some time for heat to get into the core of such a beast, right? Absolutely. Whereas the head being 
smaller in relation to body, it, it's going to be more uh, sensitive to fluctuations in temperature, I would assume. Absolutely. And the other kind of theory, idea about why they might do this is that it's a threat display. So you imagine you're a crocodile, you've got like lots of teeth, big long mouth, open your mouth. Anyone who's nearby can tell, oh my God, that's a big mouth. I don't necessarily want to tangle with that animal. Yeah. The other sort of theory is that, yeah, they're doing this as a means of deterring aggression from others or just showing, hey, don't mess with me. You know, maybe something might come and eat them. Not if they've got their mouths open, perhaps. So these were kind of the two ideas that it's either to sort of help them regulate their body temperature or that it's kind of a display, a threatened display. But it could also be for a different kind of communication between the crocodiles themselves. So this team, they went to this wetland in South Africa on their sort of coastal eastern area of South Africa. And they set out to try and find out why Nile crocodiles gape. And by observing them for a really long time, by hiding in a sort of bird hide with big scope and sort of... Yeah, looking, spying on the crocodiles spying, from afar. It's spying, isn't it? It's spying on the crocodiles, really. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. But yeah, so they did that. Somebody did it. Well, they, a couple of people did it and then they made sure that they were sort of doing it the same, which they were. Consistently. Yeah, yeah, they were consistently doing it. And so, yeah, they sort of camped out in this bird hide and sort of just did some sort of crocodile voyeuring for about 20 hours all told they were doing 10 hour days of crocodile watching i can imagine i don't know what kind of an experience that would be it'd be quite intense because you're trying to gather data but also kind of a bit boring i'm not sure maybe it'd be nice but anyway i think it'd be nice for a bit and then it would become quite laborious yeah especially if there's like a lot of crocodiles about i think i got the impression there's quite a few of them coming out and at times yeah at times they were like 15 plus so that's a lot of crocodiles to keep track of yeah and so they sort of collected all the data, looked to see the sort of the angle they had their mouths open, whether it was what time of day, how hot it was, um, whether the, the sort of the gaping was related to having more crocodiles around. And I mean, to be honest, they haven't really reached a firm conclusion, have they? If anything, it's kind of like, yeah, it's probably still one of these reasons as to why. Or in fact, to me, it kind of feels like it's most likely a mixture of the reasons. So like it's some part of it's probably thermoregulation, some part of it's probably to do with socialising. But there's not really a yeah. firm, firm answer. No. The thermoregulation one is a little bit weird in my books because they tended to gape for longer duration when it was cooler in this study. Yeah. Which... When you think of opening mouth as a, as a cooling mechanism, you would expect it to be done more at higher temperatures, right? Mm. So that one, I think, is a bit odd and a bit hard to sort of explain fully. And what about the social communication? Do you think they're gaping to threaten each other or to communicate some kind of information? I mean, I find the social one a bit more convincing with the data they're presenting here because at least because you've got duration increasing as more crocodiles are about and potentially a slight increase in duration when they're closer together, which kind of makes it, you know, you've got more crocodiles close together, more reason to show off your nice shiny teeth. So that sort of tallies up and there's two metrics that are tallying up together there that you'd expect to sort of co-vary. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's all a bit inconclusive. I think it could be a, a communication thing. I feel like maybe there's more to it than we're sort of giving the crocodiles credit. 
Maybe yeah. they are transmitting some kind of like broad scale social information. Who knows? The other thing I was thinking, which doesn't really get a mention in this paper, is that crocodiles have birds that come and clean their teeth. Did anyone think about that? Or is that too rare of a thing? Is that very seldom happening? Are they not? Could they be keeping their mouths open on the off chance that a bird fancies it? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's just they like to have a nice dry mouth. Maybe they hate that feeling of a wet mouth first thing in the morning. You get out of the water, your mouth's soaking wet. I feel like the data's suggesting the opposite, right? Because they did more gaping in the dry season than the wet season. True. Yeah. Hmm. So really, it's still a bit of a mystery. I wonder, yeah, but the thing is, there's so many things that you could tie this to. Like, how does it, does how recently they've eaten affect it? Does all this other stuff, like, could they be burping? I, I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd see the association with number of crocodiles surrounding, though. Yeah, there is that. I do wonder whether it's something like a, it's contagious. Oh, so like maybe it f- just feels nice. It's like a crocodile yawn sort of situation. Yeah. Contagion stuff, I think, is quite hard to ID. Mm. But um, Funny you should mention that because I tried to find like a little soundbite of gaping. I don't know what it was going to be like. I just always Google to try and see. But anyway, all I found was like soundbites of people yawning. And I listened to one and it made me yawn. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't know what that concludes, but we can say that for definite. When Tom hears a yawn, he'll yawn. So yeah, maybe it is a contagion thing. Maybe like the crocodiles see the other crocodiles doing it. Like, yeah. yeah, and maybe they get sleepier at colder temperatures, explaining the increase of duration of... Ga- I mean, it's it's a hell of a yawn if they're yawning for 18 to 21 minutes. Imagine that. It just feels so trapped by it. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I think really the take home of this is we still don't know so many things about reptiles. Like this is a crocodile, a gigantic crocodile that lives in Africa is like, like you said, the most iconic species. This is like one of the few fundamental behaviors that we observe it doing. And we don't really understand why they do it. No, but there's at least more data now on maybe it being connected to number of neighbors or distance to closest neighbor, maybe. Did they control for the number of crocodiles they were actually observing at a time? Because then number of neighbours would make sense that it increased the amount of gaping. Oh, no, it's duration. It's duration, not number. That still holds up. Right on. So what holds up, sorry? the I was going to say, well, it would make sense that you're observing more gaping at times with more neighbours because you've got more crocodiles to observe and therefore a higher likelihood of seeing gaping. But that's not what they were modelling. They were modelling duration, not frequency Mm. so there's still that association with longer duration gapes with more neighbors Mm, yeah yeah. Mm. so there we go kind of a bit of a mysterious mysterious story about the gaping behavior of the nile crocodile but intriguing yeah they do it for some reason surely yeah there must be a reason unless there's no reason at all and they only do it when observed by humans just to mess with them yeah or it could be like a fashion like the uh, whales wearing salmon (laughs) Yes. Really sad news story this week that a lady in Florida, like basically a portion of her body was found being consumed by an alligator. And um, it kind of led to all these news stories about the alligator. You know, they kill and eat a few people. It does happen. But yeah, there was just a lot of conversation. Obviously, the alligator in question was captured and euthanized. But yeah, like when I first read that news story, I thought to myself, I would have expected that the alligator had just kind of scavenged the lady. Like, I think the lady was maybe homeless. And so she might have been walking around near the water in the dark or something else might have happened to her. And then she ended up in the water. 
but yeah, I read a little, little bit more about it, and actually, alligators do attack and kill a few people. I think since I can't remember what the numbers were, it's like maybe a few a year or or less than a few a year. But yeah, so it is possible that the alligator was um, actually trying to or killed her with the intention of eating her, and then somebody walked past and spotted the alligator eating her, and then obviously the alligator was um, yeah humanely destroyed. But yeah, just a crazy crazy news story, and like yeah, just kind of a reminder of the relationship that humans have with these giant reptiles really i mean they're huge they're monsters they're great but yeah they're they're amazing yeah they're amazing they do their own thing so yeah it's really sad that somebody died and it's also sad that they had to kill the alligator they perceived that they had to kill the alligator but yeah that's the way that goes have you got any other business well we do we were we came across that that swiftlet paper which we have to discuss briefly oh yeah 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 right (laughs) this was crazy yeah. So basically, it's a sort of review of what's eaten the Swifts or what's eaten the Swiftlets. So this whole thing was a shock to me, Ben. I didn't know what a Swiftlet was. I didn't know this industry existed. So can you just you explained it to me very patiently? So if you could do that again, that'd be great. Swiftlets, little birds, little pointy shaped birds with big mouths, blunt faces, great grabbing feet to grab hold of the sides of caves and things. One of the few birds that can echolocate, which is kind of outrageous, because they fly into these caves, and obviously it's very dark in caves. Best way of getting through something dark is to use use sound or some sort of alternative to visual. So they echolocate their way through these caves, and there's also nothing to make nests of in these caves. So they make their caves out of their own spit, and they're these sort of weird, translucent-looking cups essentially that are stuck on the side of the cave they're mostly sort of pale sort of translucency white but you can get them they are also some sort of redder and more sort of brown versions and for the longest time for like thousands of years as far as i understand it people have gone into caves and collected these nests and made them into bird's nest soup and it's still done it's still a thing that's done and it's a massive industry, multi-billion dollar industry. These nests are incredibly value valuable. You're talking, I think it's a kilo of them can go for about 10 grand US dollars. Wow. Huge industry. It has been connected to declines of swiftlets in some areas, a sort of over-harvesting problem. We're in Southeast Asia mostly, right? Yeah. Southeast Asia almost entirely, yep, and up into China. I think it can be done entirely sustainably because you can just get the nest post-fledging and the swiftlets only stay in the nest for like two weeks. So it's not even like you have to wait all that long. I just feel like it'd be easier to wait till they've gone. Like, I don't know about you, but whenever I harvest a bird's nest, it's the worst bit is dashing the babies on the floor. <laughs> Being accosted by the adults, absolutely. So basically, it's such a massive industry that it's turned into something a bit more industrial now and they have these built structures for the swiftlets to use. So it's it's you build something artificial like a big barn sort of setup for the swiftlets to use so you don't have to go venturing into these caves. But naturally these swiftlets are part of a fully functional ecosystem. I mean you know about the whole like guano situation in these caves and the what that does for these cave systems, but there's also plenty of things that eat the, the bat swifts. Poo. Yeah. Well bat and swiftlet poo. Exactly. Oh, so Swiftlets produce their own guano as well. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's a big... They're all playing into that guano system, the Swiftlets and the bats. They're damn important. So it'd be nice to have a way of 
people not harming those cave systems because they're kind of unique and kind of a big deal. But yes, reptiles. We had a wonderful paper a long time ago about, what was it, silver boas? Yeah. I think it was silver boas. Capturing bats. They were hanging from the tops of caves and grabbing bats. And we have a not dissimilar situation here, although less of the hanging and catching them in flight, I would assume, of reptiles eating swiftlets. The swiftlets, the chicks, the eggs, you name it. And essentially this is a sort of mini-review, I think I'd call it, by Kwa and Chong in 2023, looking at which reptiles are basically impacting this swift nest industry. It's a proper rogues gallery, isn't it? It's, it there's a load of... Um, I feel if I was to ask you to guess some reptiles that were responsible for eating birds that live in human-made structures, I think you probably would have got a few of these right. I reckon... I haven't read it, so I can guess if you want. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, all right. We're Southeast Asia. We've got some birds in the rafters. Who's eating them? Who's responsible? Reticulated python. Check. Absolutely. Mm, The Tyus mucosa. Uh, Tyus mucosa is... Indo-Chinese rat snake. Is it mentioned? I don't think it is, you know. That's a no. That's a no on Tyus mucosa. Hmm. Okay. What about... Oh, yeah. I remember now, because I remember we talked about it. It's the paradise snakes. Right. Chrysopelia yeah. ornata Chrys- and Chrysopelia paradisi. Yeah. The ones we always used to see eating geckos. Exactly. Yeah. So they're going in and they're smashing up the nests and eating the babies, are they? Eating babies or eating chicks or eating eggs. Mm. Yeah. And so does that harm the industry because then the parents don't attend the nest? Or like, are these reptiles having a bad impact? Or is it just more, check it out, this is a thing? I don't think they really went into that much detail because I don't think there's... It was more just getting idea of what could be impacting it as opposed to they actually are. Because as you say, it's not necessarily a problem if the nest is already created and if the population of... You know, you're not having to hand-rear these chicks or something. These are birds coming in from the wild, as far as I understand, and just using the structure and then leaving again. Mm. So it doesn't have to be... You know, these costs don't have to be recouped if the population of swiftlets are are healthy and you're just happening to provide an additional place for them to live. Hmm. What about some lizards then? Oh, well, I can see them here now. I'm I'm looking, but Ah. yeah. Oh. You were talking about old Chrysopilia ornata and their battles with toke geckos. And toke geckos are, are responsible for consuming some swiftlets too or at least raiding yeah. nests almost, which again makes sense it's a species that loves well i don't know about loves but will certainly make full use of human structures yeah well this is it like all these lizards you know like the little house geckos the bent toed gecko there yeah toke gecko and water monitors the huge yep. ones all of these animals are just kind of like you know commensal with humans and um, yeah, they all seem to love dining out on the artificial swiftlet nests or swiftlet hatchlings yeah. in the artificial nests. So yeah, kind of an interesting resource for them. I guess for them, it's just like another boon of hanging around near humans. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Makes perfect sense. It's, I say, I'm not sure how much of a problem problem it is, but... Uh, and have you ever tried this soup? Have you ever tasted a bird's nest soup? No, absolutely not. No. No, I don't think I would. I don't think... It's bird spit. 
<laughs> I mean, how is that different? It does have nutritional value. I, I, did, I did have a little look, and it does have like it's organic compounds from the little Swiftlet's mouth. So it does have <laughs> sort of proteins in it and a calorific content. But no, I, I don't think I'd go for it. <laughs> I feel like I'd probably try it. Like it doesn't seem that different than an egg. <laughs> I think it, depending on how much you're spending, you might think twice. Oh, if it's expensive, I don't want to do it. I'm not that fussed. It's I, outrageously expensive. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. It's the delicacy thing. Uh, it's yeah, a, I mean, yeah, and I'm also. This not, is why I'm talking about them a kilo being ten grand's worth. <laughs> yeah, it's a very uh, labor-intensive thing to retrieve the nests. Yeah, or at I, least oh, I don't know how labor-intensive it is in these this sort of artificial setting, but hmm. yeah, I mean, probably need to know a little bit more about the industry as well. Like, but yeah. But no, I, I don't want to spend a lot of money to eat spit, to be honest. Like, there's loads of other <laughs> sort of licks, <laughs> other things I'd rather eat. Sick. Well, that was fun. I just, when we saw that, we just had to mention it. Even though it's mostly about birds, it was just too mental to sort of pass by. It's very shocking that this industry, I didn't know it even existed. So yeah, real trip down there. I didn't realize that it had become artificial setups had been created. Like I knew about the retrieving nests from cave systems stuff. Mm but not about the artificial setups. I can only hope that it just is a boon for these swiftlets as they have more places to nest and things. Mm, yeah. And hopefully it re- sort of relaxes any sort of pressure on the cave systems in- entirely. Because I say there are examples of it having a negative impact, but hopefully there's ways of doing it that don't. Yeah. Cool. I just had one other piece of any other business. Yeah, I remember a while ago we were talking about the Sri Lankan cobras, the Sri Lankan naya naya. Well, we were discussing whether or not they should be a species, basically. And as it turns out, oh yeah, somebody had already published a paper describing them as a separate species, Naya polyotulata. But then another paper's come out, which is by um, Wolfgang, my old boss, your old boss, Wolfgang Wister, and um, another author called Frank Tillak. And they basically say that, no, the evidence is not sufficient to justify calling it its own species. Also, the original description of Naya Naya were from Sri Lanka. So if they were going to rename anything, it wouldn't be the ones on Sri Lanka. It would be renaming the mainland stuff. So basically, uh, yeah, we had a big conversation about it. It passed us both by that the species has been described. But now, yeah, basically it's probably a little bit of a hasty tax knock decision and probably shouldn't count. So um, yeah, we need a lot more evidence before we can start doing stuff like that. And the paper is kind of a critique of um, sloppy uh, methods in species description which yeah is a constant thing and is something which we have to savagely filter out all the time for species of the bi-week <laughs> yeah sure but I, I don't think we do that <laughs> we sometimes do we sometimes do there's a few that we do we don't all ah yeah i mean yeah i mean well more, not more say that, what not i'm to, getting at is if it's not, species, it's not getting a seal of approval if it's species of the bi-week is all i'm yeah, getting yeah, at that is that is not a yeah, indication yeah. that that is we are not in a position to fully no. double check people's work. No, I think it's very crucial to say that we lack the authority to decide if species description is good or bad. But yes. there are occasionally examples which are so bad yes. that we can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, most certainly. <laughs> yeah. All right, sweet. Well, yeah, I haven't got any other business. Have you? Nope, that's me. I just want to talk about those swiftlets and their spit. A delicious, delicious spit. <laughs> great so if anyone would like to get in touch with us you can herphighlights at gmail.com we're on social media 
as always thank you very much to our patreons patreon.com slash app highlights if you want to contribute to the podcast thank you very much to those that do and yeah we will be back next week so thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening